Let's go ahead and start finding our places. I don't like interrupting all the conversation. It's like one of the most beautiful sounds, I think, in a church. You ever been to one of those churches where like, nobody talks to each other? That's weird. I don't understand that. Anyway, man, I, I hate breaking it all up. Hey, my name's Tony. I'm one of the pastors here. I, I, I see a room full of guests. We are glad that you are, we're glad that you're here and choosing to uh, worship with us um, this morning. Um, Merry Christmas to you all. How many of you already had a, a Christmas event already, family-related, whatever? We, we did yesterday, and I, uh, I lost a game of Scrabble twice, you know, I know, uh, what have you. All right, uh, I don't know if Kara says she won. I don't know if that's a proud thing or not, but anyway. Hey, uh, grab your Bibles if you would. And turn with me to Luke chapter 2. Now, we're gonna, it's going to take us a few seconds to get there. But I'm also going to ask you to turn to Luke chapter 1 and Matthew chapter 1. We're going to do a little bit of flipping this morning. Um, this is a week where we typically just carve out some time and address, address the Christmas story. And I love this story. And uh, I'll be honest, I've been doing this for a hot second. And so it's hard to come up with a new message every single year just so you know, but at the same time, the Word of God is fresh, and it is real, and uh, I want to, I really want to zero in on one verse in particular, amen. Hey, let me, before we get to going too far, let me just say this. I love a room full of people. I love a room full of children, and all the parents right now are freaking out, right? So be at peace, be at ease. That child is way louder to you than it is to anybody else in the room. And so you know when it's a distraction, you know when it's not. So please be at, please be at peace. I love a room full of children. Amen, church? So Luke chapter 2, verse 20 is where I want to zoom in on. So I want to read that verse because that's the culmination, culmination verse that I want to focus in on today. But then I want, to, I want to lay out a couple things. So Luke chapter 2, verse 20 says this. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. So as I was reading through this story, I was just making some notes, and I come to this verse, and I'm, okay, I'm always praying, God, give me a new, a new fresh way to see this, new eyes. And I came to this verse, and man, I, just, I, I, I was really challenged by a few things, and I want to I get to those. But before we can get to verse 20, we got to back up we got to back up a few hundred years. And so our message title is A Life-Changing Present. And there's a play on words. We'll come to that here in just a few moments. But it's a life-changing present. Last week, we were focused on the perfect gift, the perfect gift not just being a baby Jesus, but a resurrected, glorified Christ, for sure. But I want to zoom in on a couple things. And God declared about 700 years prior to this, so about 2,700 years ago for us, that a, a, a virgin-born son was going to come on this planet. Now, Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. I think you have it on your notes if you, if you have notes. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14 says, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Right? We've, we've heard this verse numerous, numerous times. I love that word, the name Emmanuel. It literally means God with us or God with skin on or God amongst men. 
And so here's this prophecy from Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, 700 years prior to Jesus showing up on the scene, that there's going to be not just a virgin birth, but a virgin birth of a boy. And this boy is going to be God with skin on. He's going to be God amongst us. But then he declared where this child was going to be born. So not just enough in, in Isaiah 7, 14, that a virgin's going to be con conceive and have a child. But he also declares where this child is going to be born. And that's roughly 650 to 700 years prior to this as well. Micah chapter 5 and verse 2. Micah chapter 5 verse 2 says, But thou Bethlehem Ephrathah, though thou be little amongst the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel. So not just a, not just a, a birth of a virgin-born son, but a location and also a declaration of who he is. He's, he's presenting himself as lamb, he's presenting himself as king, but he's to be ruler over all Israel, whose goings forth have been from old and from everlasting. And so this is God himself. But then God declared not just a virgin birth or where, where he was going to be born, he also declared who he was going to be, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given colon, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counsel of the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Now, you've heard that verse. I'm sure you've heard it saying. I'm sure you've heard it referenced, but wow, there's a lot going on in this verse. And I just want to, I have a highlight at the very beginning of the verse. It says, for unto us a child is born. That's what we're celebrating today. That's what we're celebrating this time of year is a birth of a son a birth of a virgin-born son whose name is Emmanuel, Jesus. That's for unto us a child is born in Bethlehem, comma. And then it says unto us a son is given. And we talked about that gift last week in John chapter 3 in verse 16. That it, we're not talking about a baby Jesus now. We're talking about a resurrected Jesus. And if you didn't get that, I mean, go back and, and listen to that online. But then it says colon, and then it, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. So you have the baby Jesus. Then you have a resurrected Jesus, his first coming. Colon, his second coming is the government's going to be upon his shoulder. Because if you know anything about the Bible, or you're familiar with the Bible story, you understand that Jesus lived and he died, but he never once in his first coming assumed the kingdom. He never became the ruler. The government was not upon his shoulder, right? That, happened, that happens in his second coming. He's coming again. And so Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 is a prophecy of his first coming and his second coming. It lets us know that, that there's a twofold aspect to who he is. He is lamb and he is king. Now, all of this is true. All this prophecy is true 700 years prior to Jesus showing up on the scene. But then God has to get the right people to the right place at the right time, Right? So you just think about that just for a moment. He's got to get the right people to the right place at the right time. So in order to have a virgin birth, you have to have a, you have to have a virgin, right? And so he finds one. So you're in Luke. Go to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, and look with me in verse 26. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one close to you. I don't have all these verses on the screen. Luke chapter 1 in verse 26, God chooses a young woman named Mary. And this young woman is, is chosen to be this boy's mother. She's young and she's, she's engaged to be married. They haven't been married yet. And so they're in the preparations of it. And it says in verse 26, 
says, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto the city of Galilee named Nazareth. Now, the Bible says that nothing good comes from Nazareth, right? Can't anything good come from Nazareth? Well, I know of one good thing. His name is Jesus. And so um, she's from Nazareth. And it says in verse 27, this, this angel Gabriel comes to a virgin, a spouse to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. He's giving you insight that's very important. He's of the house and lineage of David. David comes from the line of, line of Judah, right? He's the Judea line, and, and David, he's also letting you know where David's from. He's from Bethlehem. And the virgin's name was Mary, verse 28. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail thou that art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And, and when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should mean. Now, can you imagine being Mary? This young lady who's consumed with getting married, thinking about all the details and when's my, when's my groom coming to get me. And then all of a sudden an angel shows up and says, Hail, Mary. It, it just begins to interact with her. And the Bible says she's a little confused, right? She's a little troubled at, at this saying. Verse 30, And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb a prophecy fulfilled in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. But thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. Jesus? What does that mean? Jehovah is salvation. You're going to have a baby. You're going to have a child. And you're going to name him Jesus. And his name is Jehovah is salvation. And so she finds out that God wants to use her to fulfill Bible prophecy. Look at this, verse 32. He shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, just like Isaiah 9 said. Verse 33, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there shall be no end. The last thing on her mind is children, right? The only thing on her mind is getting married. And now this angel shows up and says, hey, you're going to have a baby. You're going to conceive. And it's going to be from the Lord. And so what is interesting in verse 34 and through 38 is that she chooses to be a willing participant because she makes herself available to this. Now, she doesn't fully understand it, but she believes God. Verse 34, then said Mary unto the angel, how shall this be, seeing I know not a man? I understand the audience, and so everybody in the room understands this. She's put this math together. This is not possible. It's not possible for me to have a child right now. How is this going to happen, basically? Not, this can't happen, but God, can you tell me how? I'd like a little bit of insight on this. Verse 35, And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which is born of thee shall be called the Son of God. So Son of the highest, Son of God. One points to his kingly line, one points to his uh, spiritual line. He's the Lamb. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month with her, who is called barren. And verse 37, I love this verse. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. And look at Mary's response, verse 38. And Mary said, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from me. All she says is like, listen, I know you explained it. I don't fully understand it. But I'm your vessel. The best, of, she may not have any ability, but the best ability is always availability, isn't it? And so she says, hey, I'm available. I'm willing to be used by you. And then God drops his bomb and says, oh, by the way, your cousin Elizabeth in her old, old age is 
is, is pregnant. And of course, Mary's like, wait a second, we got two miracles because my cousin Elizabeth is past the time of women, right? And it's not possible for me to do this. And so she heads out and she goes down to visit her cousin who, who's pregnant. Now you can read the rest of the story on your own. Now I want to fast forward three months because she's gone to be with her cousin Elizabeth for three months. Now what happens about the third month of somebody being pregnant? You kind of start to show a little bit of, little bit of a baby bump. Starts to show just a little bit. Right? Go to Matthew chapter 1. Now, can you imagine being in Joseph's shoes? Matthew chapter 1. Her espoused husband, right? They're not married yet, but they're engaged. And she comes home, and she, he hasn't seen her in, a, in about three months. And you ever been around women who are pregnant that just have a glow about them? Don't they? I, I think it's beautiful. Just women are pregnant, they just have a glow. And Joseph's like, there's something different about you, Mary. Mary's like, all right, I practiced this for like the whole trip. <laughs> I was going to share this information with you. Like I, I've, I've practiced this over and over again. Um, hey, Joseph, an, an angel came to me and uh, said, I'm going to have God's baby. And uh, I'm pregnant. What do you think Joseph's response would be? Like, Excuse me? Excuse me? What? What'd you just say? And he's like, okay, marriage over. There's no way I can marry this woman. But he's got, he's a just man, the Bible says. And so how do you, how do you process this information? And so he's minded to put her away privately. He's got two options. Option one is see her stoned publicly to death. That's option one. He chooses not to go that route. He's like, I don't want to see that. Option two is to write her a bill of divorcement saying, I see something unclean in her. And so he's minded to do that. And as he's pondering all these things, look at verse, verse 20. It says, but while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. She ain't lying to you. What she said is true. Verse 21, and she shall bring forth not just a child, but a son. And thou shalt call his name Jesus. So both of them get the same memo. You're going to call his name Jesus. What does Jesus mean? Well, Jehovah is salvation. For he shall save his people from their sins. Now, stop just for a moment. The angel Gabriel comes to Mary and says, hey, um, he's going to be son of the highest. He's going to be ruler. He's going to, he's going to reign. He's going to be a king. But when Gabriel comes and talks to Joseph, he says he's going to be a sacrifice. Does this make sense? Jesus is showing up for two reasons, to show himself as lamb, to show himself as king. One, he's going to save people from their sins, but he's also trying to present himself in a way that he would save himself, save the Jews from Roman occupation. Now, there's a whole lot more to get into that. But he lets them know that, no, this son, the son that's going to be born of her is going to save his people from, this, from their sins. Verse 22. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, shall bring forth a son. He's quoting Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. So Joseph hears all this, wakes up, verse 24. Then Joseph, being raised from the sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and then verse 25, and knew her not. He waits to make a, make a decision. He waits to take a step until he hears directly from the Lord. Then he puts his wants, his desires on hold to, to be a stepfather 
to God's son. Now, that's pretty amazing to me. So he's weighing his biblical options, and then he chooses to be a willing participant. He says, I'm willing to be obedient, and he does it. He marries her. Now, what's the setting? The setting is Nazareth, isn't it? Where's this child to be born? Bethlehem. So now God has the right people, but he doesn't have them in the right place. Now, go to Luke chapter 2 again. Luke chapter 2. Because we get a little bit more of the story. So she's come back. She's pregnant. He's flipping out. God says, hey, don't, don't flip out. This is fulfillment of Bible, Bible prophecy. I want to use you. And he says, okay. And he, he marries her. And then at the, right around the same time, so about, about six months after that, there goes a decree from Caesar Augustus that says all the world's going to be taxed. Oh, by the way, everybody has to leave where you live and go back to the place of your nativity, to the place where you're born. Of course, Joseph's now the man of the house, and so they have to go to his, his city, which is Bethlehem. And so what God does, he gets them from Nazareth all the way down to Bethlehem. Check this out, verse 1, chapter 2, verse 1, and it came to pass. In those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenus was governor of Syria. And all, the, all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. Now, can you imagine the highways and the byways? Right? There's no train. There's no buses. Everybody's like eh, riding their little donkeys and their camels and they're doing the little thing, getting from point A to point B. People are scattered all over the place and they're no different. They make their way from Nazareth all the way down to Bethlehem. I've got a map that I, I kind of just want to give you a, a glimpse of. I know that might be hard to see. Nazareth is to the north, and Bethlehem is just outside of Jerusalem, roughly 8 to 10 miles, just outside of Jerusalem. And so they had, would have had to make their way on down, and not, they're not the only ones traveling. The entire world is traveling under Roman rule. Everybody's going back to where they're, to where they're from to, to pay their taxes. And so they make their way to Bethlehem. In verse 6, it says, And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. So it's one thing to travel. It's a whole other thing to do it with a pregnant woman. Hey, I have to use the restroom. You did that like a mile ago. Sorry, I have to go again, right? So they're constantly stopping. They're constantly doing it, and they get there, and they, they show up late. I can only imagine that, the, that it's taken them a little bit longer than everybody else, and so when they get there, there's no room for them in the end. Verse 7, and she brought forth her firstborn son, letting you know that she has other children later, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. Why? Why would they do that? Because there was no room for them in the inn. All right. So that's the whole story. That's kind of a humble beginning for a king. Would you agree? I would think if, if the king is going to be born, usually that's celebrated. People know about that. And yet this is a very humble beginning for a king. But God makes sure that people know about it. This is when a star shows up in the east and the, the wise men begin to make their trip. You can read about that in Matthew chapter 2. About two years later, they show up on the scene. But this is the perfect beginning for a lamb, isn't it? It's a humble beginning for a king, but it's a normal, perfect beginning for a lamb. Lambs are born. Lambs are born in a stable, right? Lambs are born where the sheep coat is, Right? And God makes sure that everybody hears it. So I want to remind you of chapter 2 and verse 20 about these guys in the shepherds. They've gotten the news, and the Bible says they return, verse 20, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. 
In other words, a life-changing present was evident in their life-changing present. You got to get that. God is giving them a life-changing present and it changes their present tense. Their present tense is, is life-changing. It's evident in their, in their present tense. It completely changed them because they believed something that was told them. All right, so chapter 2, verse 20. I want to kind of look at the end part of this verse really quickly. It says, as it was told them. Well, what does that mean? That implies something. Here's, so if you're to take a notes, here, here's the first thing I want you to get. That means a messenger was sent. As it was told them, they, they heard something. They can't hear something unless somebody's saying something. And nobody's going to say something unless somebody's been sent to say something. And so Acts chapter, Acts, sorry, Luke chapter 2, look at verse 8. So he's been born, he's laid in a manger, verse 8, and there was in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. So this angel shows up and they're a little bit, they're a little bit scared. What is going on here? The angel of the Lord shows up and, and he, this, this messenger is sent. Now think about this. These shepherds, they're busy doing their work. They're probably a little bit annoyed by all the new faces showing up in town. They're trying to handle their business and they have no idea who Mary and Joseph are. They have no idea that Gabriel's visited them months ago. They have no idea that they're on their way to Naz from Nazareth all the way down to Bethlehem. They have no clue about any of it. They're just doing their job, man. No clue that God is moving behind the scenes. And then all of a sudden, this angel of the Lord shows up and speaks to them. So a messenger is sent. But the messenger just doesn't go. The messenger has something to say. So here's your next point. The message was delivered the message was delivered. Look at verse 10. And the angel said unto, unto them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to not just you, not just the Jews, but all people, praise the Lord, for unto you is born this day, this day in the city of David, a Savior, which is Christ the Lord, a Savior, Lamb, and Christ the Lord, a Messiah, a King. He's both lamb and he is king. He lets them know that. Verse 12, and this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. That's the sign. Wrapped and laid. Verse 13, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and, and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. We were just talking this morning. Are they singing? Are they saying? I don't know. But I like to pretend that they're singing. Can you imagine the angel of the Lord just talking to them? Hey, by this day, uh, uh, Savior is born, Christ the Lord, he, he's born, he's here, and all of a sudden this turns into a musical. Right? Everybody's just, all of a sudden the angels show up, and this heavenly host shows up, and they're, they're praising God, and they're glorifying God in the highest. It's like, what in the world just, what in the world just happened? I'm not a big fan of musicals, by the way. I'm just not. And yet, that kind of seems to be what happens here. I mean, they're buying their flocks by night. They, they got to be, what in the world is going on? So this, this gets delivered. Notice what it says in verse 14. Glory to God in the highest. What's the next phrase? What does it say? On earth, peace. It doesn't say peace on earth. It says on earth, peace. 
Jesus is the embodiment of peace. He is light. He is love. He is peace. But it doesn't mean there's peace on the earth. It means on the earth is peace. Does this make sense? On the earth, peace. And so you want to have peace with God, you've got to go through this guy. You have to go through him. Peace is available. All you have to have is goodwill toward men. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, right? That's the gift that he's offering here. Verse 15, though. Verse 15 says, And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem. All right, stop. So they received the message. That's your next point. The message was received. A messenger was sent. A message was delivered, and the message was received. They heard it loud and clear. I, I can only imagine their faces. I'd like to put myself in the story, if I possibly can. Anytime I'm reading the Bible, I can imagine they're like, did you, did you just, am I, did you see what I saw? Did you hear what I hear? I mean, did, did you hear this? Am I the only one? And they all said, hey, we got to go. We got to go see this thing. All right, so Luke chapter 2. Verse 20 says, and the shepherds returned, which tells you something, that they went somewhere. The shepherds returned, which tells you that they went somewhere. The next point I got for you is the message was believed. Now, that tripped me out. I'm just being honest. That would trip me out. If I'm doing my job in a field, an angel shows up, number one, and then the heavenly host busts out in song, and then they disappear. And I'm stuck looking at these yahoos again. That would trip me out. And you've got to decide, are we all like messed up or is this a legitimate thing? And sure enough, they all look at each other and say, we got to go. Verse, middle of verse 15, let us now go even unto Bethlehem. Why Bethlehem? Because that is the city of David and see this thing which has come to pass which the Lord hath made known unto us so they believed it to be true but not not enough to believe they took it a step further next point is the the message is is obeyed the message is obeyed listen you can believe this Bible through and through but if it doesn't change the trajectory of your life then you don't really believe it you live what you believe. It's evident in the way you live. It's evident in the way you talk. It's evident in the way you carry yourself. And the Bible says they didn't just go, wow, praise the Lord, and go about watching their flock. No, they went to go find, they went to go find this, 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 uh, this sign, the Bible tells them. So we got to go see it. End of verse 15, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And so they go to Bethlehem. In verse 16, it says, and they came with haste. Obedience is complete and obedience is immediate. It is in haste. Now they return glorifying and praising God when they get back from this for all the things that they had seen. I want to come back to that in a moment, but notice verse 17. It says, and when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning the child. Now we don't get any details. They, we don't know how far the field is from the manger. We're not told where the manger is. We're not told how they know where the manger is. We're not told any of that. They just come and they find this, this manger. They come and find this sign. And we don't get any inter interaction. What did they say? What did they do? Did they go in and it, did they hold the bag? We don't get any of that information. 
All we know is that they saw it because they were obedient to it. A message was sent. They, they had the audacity to receive it and believe it and obey it. And so they went and they come back and they see this thing, but they're not silent. Verse 17, they saw it. And it says, then they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. Next point I have for you is that the message was shared. The message was shared. So that messenger that gave them the message has now been passed to them and they now have the responsibility and they carry it to the countryside. They take it to everybody they come in contact with. Verse 18, verse 18. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Verse 20, and the shepherds returned because they had gone, because they had obeyed. And the glory, and they come back and what are they doing? They're glorifying and praising God for all the things that, notice this, that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. So, the message gets shared, but the also, the message gets celebrated. The message is celebrated. And what do they do? They're glorifying. That's an outward. You'll never believe what God has done. Talking to everybody you come in contact with. I've got to glorify the Lord. Shining the Lord, light on the Lord. You'll never believe what he has done. Praising, that's upward. So one is outward glorifying the praising. That's upward. The things that they had seen and the things that they had heard, that is inward. You see, when God moves inside of you, because you have the audacity to believe the message that is sent, to receive it and to obey it, and you see some things and you hear some things, man, you can't help but to glorify the Lord in sharing it, to praise him upward because of what God has done on you inward. Amen? Wow. What a verse. What a verse. That really challenged me as I was preparing this. All right, so verse 18 again. I want you to see something because I want to compare what's happening in verse 18, verse 19, and verse 20. So they had gone out in verse 17. They start publicizing this, letting everybody know what they had heard and what they had seen. Verse 18, and all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. They wondered at it. So let me just, just land the plane with some practical applications. The first one is this. There are those who wonder. There are those who wonder. And I'm telling you, in this room, there are those who wonder. What does that mean? Their minds get affected. They hear it intellectually. What happens when the shepherds heard this? They had to go see it, didn't they? You'll never believe what I saw. You'll never believe what I heard. And they take it and they wonder, but it doesn't move their feet at all. We don't get any idea. We don't get any implication that they went to go see the sign. 
They just wondered. Huh. I wonder if that could be true. I wonder. But then you have Mary, verse 19. Check this out. But Mary kept all these things and what? Pondered them in her heart. She pondered. That's your next point. There are those who ponder. Where do you ponder? It's in her heart. And so the heart is affected, but not necessarily her life. Now, here's what's amazing with Mary. Think about this. This is a woman who nine months prior had Gabriel the angel come and speak to her and says, hey, you've highly favored. God wants to use you to help uh, fulfill Bible prophecy. And she says, be it unto me. She responds just like the shepherds do. But after now she's a mom, things are different. Truth. Things are a little different when we become actual mom. And she's hearing all these different things. And the Bible says she ponders them in her heart. If you want to do some Bible study, you just read later in this chapter, we find out because the Bible skips ahead to Jesus at 12. And they go back to Jerusalem and, and you find out that he's, he's hanging back in Jerusalem for a few days without mom and dad knowing it. And he's debating with the doctors of the law in, in the temple. And they come and find him. And he goes, why are you stressing, mom? Why are you stressing, dad? Don't you know that I got to be about my father's business? And it says at the end, of, towards the end of Luke chapter two, it says that she heard all these sayings and pondered them in her heart. And then you fast forward a little bit later when Jesus is plugged in and doing ministry. Now he's in his 30s. And the very first time, uh, the very first miracle he does is in a wedding in Cana. And Mary has done some math somewhere along the lines because she said, hey, son, why don't you do something? And he goes, it ain't my time yet. And she's like, it's time when I say it's time. Um, she looks at everybody else and says, how about you just do what it tells you to? And she walks off. It's like, mom's figuring this thing out. A little bit later, she's trying to stop him from accomplishing ministry. And then somewhere along the line, she believes him to be Savior and Lord. So something has done in her where she begins to ponder. She's going off of what she had seen in her past and based on what she had seen, but she doesn't, it doesn't necessarily affect her life right away. And so there are those who ponder. In other words, we have a passive position of watching others who see and do. And maybe that's you because that's honestly where the majority of Christians are today. We ponder. We see God's hand. We see God moving. We know what the word of God says. We believe it. And we are excited about what God is doing in other people. And it doesn't move our feet. It moves our hearts. And we just ponder. We're going to go any further. But what about verse 20? Because there are those who glorify and praise God. That's your next point. There are those who glorify and praise God. And this is a super minority. A super minority. Their lives are affected. Instead of wondering and instead of pondering, the Bible says they believed. The angel shows up. The heavenly host shows up. There's a sign waiting for you. And they didn't just look at each other and wonder and ponder. They moved their feet. And they went with haste. 
In other words, the, their belief changed the direction of their lives. They've seen some things. They've heard some things. And so when they get back, they glorify and they praise God because they put their feet to it. In other words, let me put it this way. Ancient words were spoken into their present tense. And not just that, ancient words changed their present tense. Do you understand that we are reading ancient words today? And it should change your present tense. Now listen, we're looking at this from a Christmas point of view, but I'm just telling you, what we're reading here should be your everyday life. What we're reading here should be my everyday life. Because every day when you wake up, and you set aside the best part of your day where you're at your highest functioning, and you set aside time to open up the Word of God, these ancient words. You need to know something. A message has been sent to you. A message has been sent. Now, it's up to you whether you receive it. And it's up to you whether you believe it. And it's up to you whether, whether, whether you obey it. But I'm telling you, you have the option to just read this and go, I wonder. Or read it or hear a message like this and go, man, that just that kind of hit me in the feels. It kind of hit me in the heart. I'm, I'm going to chew on that for a little bit. I'm going to ponder. Let me just ponder on that just for a moment. Okay, do that. But there's going to be a select few who hear it and receive it and believe it and obey it. And the Bible says they're going to see some things because they heard some things. And it's going to be evident in the way that they carry themselves because they have a life that glorifies him. They can't stop talking about him. Outwardly, they have an upward approach. They can't stop praising him because of what God has done on the inside and the inward because they've seen some things and they've heard some things. That should be the reality every single week when we come together and hear the teaching and preaching of the Word of God. This should be the reality every time we have a Bible study with an individual. That should be the reality every time we disciple with somebody. The Word of God for yourself is as if the angel of the Lord is speaking directly to you. Will you have the same response as the shepherds? Or you be like those who just wonder, or those who just ponder, let me put it this way and we'll be done. Do you have a life-changing present? Because you received a life-changing present. Now I'm going to ask our praise team to make their way on up. Do you have a life-changing present? Because you've received, because you believed, because you obeyed the life-changing present. I'm just telling you, you do not have to be a believer who comes to church and sits in a chair and be passive as you sit back and you watch God moving in the lives of others where you feel like, well, that's for them and not necessarily for me. No, no, no. God came to a group of shepherds. Nobody knows the shepherds' names, right? Nobody knows who they are. It doesn't really matter because you are the shepherd. I am the shepherd. And it's our choice 
whether we're going to receive it, believe it, and obey it. Let's stand together. Now, I'm going to be standing right down here. I'm going to be right down here. If there's anybody that needs to move their feet, today's the day you need to move your feet. So I'm going to be standing right over here. Kathy Shelby's right in this area. So ladies, you need to speak with a lady. You come and find her. She's happy to open the Bible and share with you how you can know Christ as your Savior. But maybe you just need to get flat on your face before the Lord. Where you want to be just like the shepherd and say, you know what? I'm moving my feet today. Because I want to live this every day. A living present. Because God's given me a life-changing present. So I'm going to close in prayer. We're going to sing this song. If you need somebody to talk to, I'm right here. Kathy's right over here. We'll be happy to speak with you. I love you guys. Father, Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your truth. Lord, I thank you, Lord, for this book, these ancient words that speak into our present tense. Lord, to give you the praise, the honor, and the glory. Pray that you're magnified. Pray, Lord, that you would not uh, allow us to walk out of here just as somebody who wonders, as just somebody who ponders. But Lord, I pray that you would grip our hearts. Lord, that we, some of us need to come to know you as Savior. Some of us need to recognize, Lord, that we've been passive, watching others, when it's exactly what you would have for each and every single one of us. We ask all this in the name of Christ, I pray. Amen.